Well, what'd you expect? All right, that's not the way to start off the morning. Good morning. How are you? Welcome in, DJ and PK. And what did you expect? Monday Night Football, Seattle and Philadelphia, and the best thing the Eagles had going for them, as about 10,000 people noted on social media, is the fact the stadium's empty. They couldn't get booed out of the building by their own fans in the first half. And that's what would have happened. Seattle, it doesn't look like it. The final score is 23-17, but Seattle dominated that game. When Chris Carson went crashing through the defense on that was it, 16-, 18-yard touchdown run, whatever it was, put Seattle up 14-0. At that point, deep down, none of us, not one of us, thought the Eagles was going to come back and win that game. That was over. Sure, you can argue, well, they ultimately scored 17 points. Yeah, because by then Seattle was sitting on 23. <clears throat> there was no way Philly was coming back. Their offensive line was outmatched. Quarterback is running for his life. He doesn't have any confidence. He's not very accurate. And his receivers struggle to get open. Other than that, it looked great. So Seattle wins the game. Seattle uh, improves to 8-3. and three. Seattle is tied with Green Bay, who is... Uh, also 8-3, and, and New Orleans leads the NFC at 9-2, and two, and those look like the three big dogs, and everybody's chasing them. And it's hard to believe that these teams are going to get through them and beat two, or depending on where you're seated, possibly all three of them to get to a Super Bowl. No. One of those three teams should be the Super Bowl team. Of course, one of the playoff teams is in the East. Philadelphia, as bad as they look, is only a half game out of first place. They're a half game out, and next week none of them will win. I mean, they're playing uh, Green Bay and New Orleans, and I think they got Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Baltimore? That's the weak link? I mean, they're getting the best of the league. Yeah, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. Actually, I really like Washington's chances in this. I think they've got the best schedule. Uh, I think they've at this point, if they got the best quarterback, um, I think they do. Uh, some of you might think Andy Dalton's the best quarterback, um, but Dallas has got a lot of issues. So even if they do have the best quarterback by a little bit, uh, I, I think it's going to be Washington, which you know ought to be exciting for the team that's the five seat. <laughs> that ought to be very exciting. Yeah, you'll have to go play them there, but so what? It's kind of like getting a bye. Of course, then you probably get the Saints in the second round. So good luck with that. Uh, the other football news is Pittsburgh and Baltimore getting backed up again. The Thanksgiving Day game, they got moved to Sunday. They got moved to Tuesday. They got moved to Wednesday. So And it's, now they've got to back up their games the next week because they don't want to play Wednesday, Sunday. So I think one of the games got moved to Monday and one got moved to Tuesday. So... It's a complete mess, and uh, they're going to try and squeeze all the games in. That is very clear that the NFL doesn't want to let anything get in the way. And I know some people are, uh, and a lot of you are Bronco fans, and are wondering, well, Baltimore got to move their game. Why didn't we? Uh, Baltimore had people test positive, and the Broncos had people ignore the protocol that the NFL has told them repeatedly and emailed and sent it out through the union, sent out through the clubs, and the quarterbacks blew it off and weren't masked up. And they're not going to bend over backwards for a team that does that. We had Lincoln Kennedy on the air. Uh, the Raiders had a similar situation, although it's offensive lineman, not quarterback. But the same thing, ignoring the protocols. And Lincoln 
and said, hey, the NFL is having none of it. You made your bed, you lie in it. If you don't have enough players uh, and you get beat really badly, well, then you get beat really badly. Competitive balance is not the key word this year. Getting the games in, getting the paydays from the networks, you're losing out on the gate, you're losing out on the luxury suites, you're losing out on... Uh, all the concessions and all the merchandising and the parking and, you know, on and on and on. They at least want to salvage the TV money. I mean, that's that's pretty clear here. So if they have to play games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, they will play games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. There are people pointing out that assuming this game goes off on a Wednesday, that Baltimore doesn't have more um, positive tests, that they will have then played on every day of the week this season. Ha-ha! <laughs> awesome! <laughs> Holy cow. Hey, get the games in. That seems to be that seems to be where this is going. Uh, all right, so there's the uh, here's the NFL news. The college football news, uh, the college football playoff committee will uh, put out the rankings. Uh, week two, how will they adjust? Will they adjust after getting a lot of criticism for the way that uh, BYU got placed there in the old uh, the old 14 spot? Um, I think it's easy enough to move them up to 13 and move them past Northwestern. Now, can they move up high enough that they get into a game at 13? It's pretty clear they won't be in. Um, at 12, they could be. Um, and I think BYU fans would be a lot happier if they moved up to 7, 8, or 9 and had a little breathing room so they knew they were in. Um, there are games to, to watch. Um, Northwestern, um, I think with that loss, could drop behind BYU. Now, is there also a chance for BYU to play Northwestern? Because Northwestern can't play Minnesota because Minnesota's got COVID issues and the game is off. And, you know, the Big Ten said no non-conference games, and they made that very clear to Nebraska um, when Nebraska wanted to play a non-conference game. Has anything changed? Do conferences reserve the right to change their mind if they did what Northwestern want to play? Or does BYU have to wait for, uh, for somebody else? Uh, the other news out of the Big Ten was that uh, Indiana's quarterback is a torn ACL. He is out for the year, Michael Penix Jr., and so they are turning to the backup Jack Tuttle. Yep, that Jack Tuttle, the former U. So, can he win a couple games for Indiana? If Ohio State can't play against either Michigan or Michigan State here at the end of the year, then are they not eligible for the Big Ten title game, in which case Indiana could get in if they win a couple of games with Jack Tuttle. So, I'm assuming you fans don't want him to shine because then there'd be all the heartbreak about how could he get away. Um, And I'm assuming BYU fans don't want him to shine (laughs) because, you know, that's another team that could take a loss and move behind them. It's another chance for BYU to move up. So there's that. And, of course, then there's the the other question out there, and that is – is if Tuttle plays really well, then it's like, well, no wonder the Utes passed on Zach Wilson to get Tuttle because Tuttle's really talented, even though they couldn't keep him. If Tuttle flounders, then I guess they're Ute fans who'd be – rooting for him to succeed because if he flounders, then it's like, why didn't they just get Zach Wilson in their own backyard who's a better player and wanted to go there? All right. All questions to ponder. Uh, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Ken Pomeroy from KenPom.com talking college hoops next, and then Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Networks to talk about the Utes in the Pac-12. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK. Brought to you in part by Action Plumbing. Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Time to welcome back Ken Pomeroy from KenPom.com to talk college basketball. Ken, good morning. Good morning, fellas. It's been a while. It has been a while, but College Hoops is back. Sort of, in a crazy way. Games being made up on the fly. Teams flying all over the place trying to find a game. People on Twitter asking for a game. And I'm curious, uh, because going through college football here, PK is, um, what, do you, what do you say, PK? You're 0% interested in the Pac-12 race and the Pac-12 champ. You're, you're maybe 10 or 20% of your normal interest in who the Big Ten champ is because the schedules are all over the place. Teams are playing different number of games. Teams are mixing a match and on short notice without real preparation. Teams are playing with guys missing. And I'm assuming all of this is going to happen in college basketball, too. So how hung up should we get on the races and the field of 68 and all that kind of stuff? How are you going to do this? Yeah, well, I think you just are you get as hung up as you want to be. I mean, I, I feel like it's I'm looking at it like it's a practice season. You know, the eligibility is frozen, so uh, everybody that wants to come back next year will probably be back. Uh, the schedule is obviously going to be disrupted. already has been, so it's not going to look like a normal season. Uh, hopefully, things look a little rosier in a month or two or three, uh, and things look a little bit more normal. But it, it's pretty clear it's not going to be a normal season, and if you're expecting that, you'll be disappointed and you may lose interest. But uh, I'm just looking at it like, hey, if we can get – teams playing you know 20 games or so this year that's a a pretty good that's a pretty good deal considering what the alternative is and we don't really have i don't you know we haven't had that situation like with football where you know some guys are out or some units are out or whatever like seems like in basketball right now the standard for the most part there have been a couple exceptions but for the most part you know somebody on the team tests positive like the whole team shuts down so it's not like you know you're missing a key guy here and there for the most part I'm reading my latest edition of Sports Illustrated, and there you are referred to as analytics guru, Ken Palm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to call you anything but analytics guru. You're now AG today. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> the AG! <laughs> that's, that's what's going on the business card from now on, PK. <laughs> and I'm, I'm barely talking to you because you made fun of me on Twitter. Well, I, yeah, I, did, I wasn't making fun of you. I don't think you took that in the spirit it was intended. It was <laughs> you, just, you just misquoted my guy Ryan Leaf, so I had to stick up for him. I was on the treadmill, and obviously BYU football is such a big hot topic. And I appreciate Ryan because he was willing to have an opinion, and I was listening to satellite radio. And I said, meant to say he qualified it. And I said he e-qualified it, which really, when you think about it, it's like equal and equality. You know, everything is e-bikes and all. So it's kind of a new version of the word when 
when you think about it. So it was at least ballpark, but you made sure to point out one of my rare mistakes, and you hurt me, E.G., or A.G. I didn't. I apologize if anyone was offended by, by my comments, but Man. I like that word. It's a great word, and I... Uh, <laughs> Again, just sticking up for my guy Ryan Leaf. I don't know. Did you guys did you guys watch the Broncos game yesterday? This is a total tangent, but uh, obviously they didn't have a quarterback, and so so at the end of the game, you know, they flash this graphic up, and they're like, uh, you know, this is the first game since 1998 that a team threw more interceptions than completions, and you know, obviously the 1998 game was the Chargers and. Adam Amin, Adam Amin of Fox doing the call, and he's like this super nice guy. Like he's you know he, on Twitter, he's just like. Mr. Nice Guy, and I was like, oh, he's not going to mention Ryan Lee's name. He's not going to mention Ryan Lee's name. And sure enough, he's like, yeah, that was the, you know, Carter's actually had a real quarterback with Ryan Lee in that case, so this really isn't anything like that. I was like, poor Ryan Lee, man. He just never, never catches the break. You're going to get me off on a Ryan Leaf tangent here, and I really don't want to do that. So I'm going to. tangents. I'm going to uh, try and take the high road here. I am stunned at how soft people from Jersey are, PK. Come on. What? But that that got you going? Come on, you're from Jersey. You just shed that stuff. That's what you've told us. Is... I know, but that, that had nothing to do with analytics. I mean, Ken Palm's <laughs> usefulness on planet Earth is His for analytics. Numbers, and he has letters. no right to speak up unless we're talking about analytics. Stick to That's numbers. That's point. Stick, yeah. stick to numbers, avoid letters, and yet here he is talking about I, letters and being right. If I were him, I would have wanted to know, okay, when you're on the treadmill trying to type out a message on Twitter, what's the percentages that you're going to screw it up and miss a word because you're actually in movement as you're uh, tweeting something? And so his usefulness, he didn't even do it. He just took a shot. No, I'm not going to accept okay, that. Now. He's better than that. I'm a little offended now because you know how many times on Twitter, you know, you get told to stick to sports and how annoying that is. And now you're telling me not just to stick to sports, but I have to stick to like numbers within sports. Yes. Yes. That's that's what you're known for. You're the analytics guru. I'm looking at Sports Illustrated here. You're not the social uh, justice warrior. It doesn't say that. It says analytics guru Ken Pomeroy. I'm looking at her. I got it right in front of my face. I'm holding it up right now. I'm English language policeman as well, PK. Okay. <laughs> police, police officer, buddy. Be correct. Right, of course. Jeez, man, what is wrong with you? So it's not just stay in your lane there, Ken. This is basically Earl Anthony. You know? your, your lane is a bowling alley. Stay <laughs> All right. So one thing about this football season is I can continue to live with the college football. No, I want to talk football. The college football, college basketball comparison. One thing with this football season is there are teams for whom this, if you ever had to do it, it came at the right time. Right. Nobody wants to go through this. We're all sick of going through this and we're all going to have to go through this for a little while longer. But if there is a silver lining, it's that it didn't happen to 2019 Utes when they were bringing back a bunch of guys who could have gone to the draft as juniors and they were set up for a big year as a senior. And they got to have their big year and find out how good they were, and they fell short in the Pac-12 title game. This was always going to be a rebuilding year. In college basketball, are there any teams you can say that for? Or the nature of college basketball with one and duns, you can never really say that? Uh, 
So I'm not sure I understand the question. You're talking about are there teams that are they were rebuilding anyway? They're pretty good teams, but you weren't expecting them to be big this year. Uh, Gonzaga looks like they're awesome, right? So this is a terrible year for them to maybe not get to test themselves to end up playing. You know, like you said, you hope they play 20 games. They may end up playing 13. I mean, who knows? Who knows how this is going? Yeah, you know, Gonzaga has. It's best team ever, basically. So they uh, they desperately want to season so badly that you know, in uh, they played in Florida this past week in a four team tournament, and uh, members of their team, at least members of their organization, tested positive before they played Auburn, and they still went ahead and somehow played the game. And I'm not exactly sure how they got away with that, but uh, that gives you some insight into the fact that things are maybe a little different in basketball than than football where uh you know obviously it's a smaller unit you'd think there'd be a little more care taken on this front but um but anyway Gonzaga's out there playing anybody and everybody and uh this is a really special team for them so it would be a shame for them if things got shut down because you know they do have guys who are probably headed to the NBA after this season so it's not like they're going to get that do-over that they so uh that they would would like in that case but the thing about Gonzaga like they have like if you just put together like the all WCC team, this is not how it's going to play out. But I really think they have the best player at every position in the in the entire league. <laughs> like that's how dominant they are. I don't know if I've ever I cannot remember another case like that. There's usually some other guy in the league that jumps out, but they have like uh, yeah, you just put together the you know the best the all WCC team, and you have to put together an all Gonzaga team. And it's it's obviously not how the writers are going to do it at the end of the year, but but they would be justified in doing so. Wow, I mean, that is intense to think that they're that good. And then when you say this is the best team that they've ever had, I mean, I'm not necessarily arguing with you. It just is so impressive. Explain to us some of the characters and the names of the guys as to uh, why you say that. Identify them for our listeners. Well, the guy who uh, most people probably haven't heard of is Jalen Suggs, who was a freshman point guard. Um, 6'4 kid who uh, kind of uh, stole the show in this Florida event and, uh, you know, is the real deal as a kind of a five-star freshman. The, the hype, not that there was like necessarily a ton of hype with him, but um, what there was, certainly, he certainly lived up to it. Uh, Andrew Nemhard is a transfer from Florida who was really just made eligible really the, the night or maybe even the day of their first game. And uh, I was a little bit earlier than that, maybe three or four days before the first game. But, uh, um, you know, transferring from Florida, he too, like he was a point guard at Florida. Like he probably would be the best point guard in the league if it wasn't for the fact that Jalen Suggs is going to take most of those minutes. But so they moved Nemhard to the two. So he's the, the most, the best shooting guard in the league. And then they, they end up playing small now. Joel Ajayi, who uh, is uh, a six, five wing will play the three. Another kind of NBA prospect may well get drafted. Uh, Corey Kispert, who's made all American teams this year is uh at the four, uh, played three really his first three years of college, but at the four now, and uh, um, uh, you know again all American, so he's you know really one of the best in the country. And then their center is Drew Timmy, who's a, a sophomore who's kind of coming out of his shell. Uh, played behind some guys last year, but getting a lot more minutes this year, and just this kind of fluid five who can step out and, and make threes. And uh, basically, I would take any one of those guys over anybody else in the in the WCC at their position. Who is the second best team in the West, and how big is the gap? 
that's a, a good question. The, um, you know, the Pac-12, once again this year, really doesn't have a team that uh, stands out in terms of being a, a Final Four contender. Uh, I think all, all eyes are, I guess, on Arizona State, who, uh, you know, got pretty fortunate in terms of draft decisions last year. Some guys uh, could have gone pro that uh, elected not to. Um, most famously, uh, Remy Martin, who, uh, you know, was their uh, combo guard who, uh, you know, people are pretty familiar with uh, during his three years uh, in the Pac-12. But, uh, but he's back. Um, they also added a couple of really nice freshmen, uh, in, uh, namely Marcus Bagley, who is, uh, the brother of, uh, of Marvin Bagley and, uh, has kind of a similar game, a little bit smaller, but similar game. And then Josh Christopher, who's a six, five wing, who has been just fantastic for them and in, in early play. So, uh, so yeah, they're probably the second best team in the West and maybe, you know, when they get some continuity and, and the freshmen kind of get. Uh, integrated into the system, although they, they played really well, you know, to start, um, uh, you know, that's a team that, that could make some noise in the tournament and probably the team that uh, people are going to want to catch in the Pac-12. Yeah, you speak of the Pac-12 with all this one-and-done stuff. You know, they've got a good players. They may not have the great teams. You, you just look at the draft. What was it, uh, last week or the week before, whenever it was now? I think it was last week. Uh, they had, what, 10 guys go? And, you know, I don't know what well, we, we didn't have a tournament, so we don't know who would have done what. But you look at it again this year, and that might be the same thing. You know, you got a kid that SC Mobley, he's expected to be a lottery pick. Uh, you've got uh, Zaire Williams, another freshman at Stanford. And uh, there's just two guys off the top of my head. You already mentioned Josh Christopher. Uh, the day he signed with the Devils, they were talking about him being a lottery pick. So he was most likely going to be a one and dunner. So they have these good players, but they don't necessarily have good teams that do a lot in the NCAA tournament. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that is a fair assessment. It's, uh, you know, the one and done thing is tricky because. Sometimes you get guys who uh, come in and they're, you know, 19 years old and they're developing and they obviously have a lot of potential and you can see the, you know, how their game translates to the next level and, um, and all that, but you don't get necessarily the instant production that right. you would expect. I mean, obviously that player two years down the road, if he stayed in college, would be, you know, maybe the best player in the game, but uh, it just doesn't work that way. And, so it's uh it's hard to yeah it's hard to kind of time that I, you know Shaka Smart at Texas is probably the really the guy who suffers from this the most I mean he seems to bring up five star big man every year and you know big men take a little bit longer to develop and so you get them into the program and you know they're fine but they're raw when they play and then they obviously declare for the draft and get picked you know 14th or whatever and you know end up making a lot of money and having a decent career at the next level, but they don't necessarily give you anything to, right. to push you over the top in terms of your program. Ken Pomeroy joining us, KenPom.com. How many NCAA tournament teams do you think are in the state of Utah? Well, there could be, there could be two. Uh, you know, certainly Utah, I, I, my system has high hopes for them. Uh you know, bringing back the shame of Utah is, you know, they obviously have not started their season yet. Got shut down pretty much with uh, a few COVID cases. Uh, even before that happened, they kind of opted out of the South Dakota tur- tournament, uh, which 
I would have provided them with some interesting competition, but playing basketball in South Dakota at this time is, you know, was not a great idea. And I think they wisely pulled out, but uh, it's a shame because they do kind of have that team, you know, in terms of bringing back a lot of guys from last year, the type of team that you would expect to maybe thrive in a situation where practice is limited and they can just kind of roll the ball out and, and uh, play against teams, you know, I, like we saw, I guess, with Richmond against Kentucky yesterday where, you know, Richmond's a very experienced team. They're playing a Kentucky team that's entirely new, an entirely new roster. And two months from now, Richmond may not beat Kentucky, but right now you know, they can beat them easily. And, and Utah's kind of in that position as well. Uh, so I do think, you know, they have a chance to get in, you know, certainly a higher uh, Pac-12 finish, you know, you know, fourth, fifth in the league is, is certainly doable. And if they do that, they probably make it into the tournament. And BYU is a little bit more of a mystery uh, just because they lose so much from last year. And, you know, the, the the writers and the media and the people that follow the league are still pretty high on them, which is a great credit to Mark Pope. I mean, this is a team that, again, doesn't bring back a lot of talent from last year, and they're going to rely on some guys to play bigger roles that aren't used to playing bigger roles. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. I'm probably a little more skeptical than most about them, but – uh, you know, they're off to a, a good start early, even though they really haven't faced any, any competition worthy of uh, getting excited about. Well, Ken, we appreciate a few minutes. You are the guru. AG. AG. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Don't, don't <laughs> equalify me. <laughs> you need to stick to numerical sports. You are equalified as a success no matter what you do. <laughs> All right, PK, I appreciate that. Once the NCAA selection committee starts using your numbers, you know you've hit the big time, Ken. Oh, that, and that's been a while. Man. I know, I know. That's when he hit the big time. It has yeah. been a while. You've been big time that, for a while. I play that card all the time, guys, when I get pulled over by the cops. <laughs> Come on now. You know who I am? <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> all right, Ken, we appreciate the time. We'll check in with you again uh, later in the season. All right. Sounds good, guys. Appreciate it. There is Ken Pomeroy from KenPom.com. And if you don't know the backstory, he really did come up with a formula for every Division I basketball team, wins, losses, strength of schedule. He's got his own way of doing things, his own formula. And it's so accurate that the NCAA Selection Committee adopted it a few several years ago now and has stayed with it. They've actually redone the way they do RPI. They've gotten rid of it. they got a new number and all that. And so they got about, a, I don't know, it's at least four, maybe a half dozen of these different things they use. And Ken Pomeroy is one of them. And he's a local guy. He doesn't want us to give out his address on the air because all the other... <laughs> All the other stat nerds will be knocking on his door. Hey, Ken, what do you think about my numbers? Uh, but he's a Wasatch Front guy. He's a Utah guy. And uh, listens to our shows, has been in our station, famously showed up at the door once, and I was walking out and didn't recognize him, and he was trying to be let in, which uh, I could have been arrested for. I wasn't going in the proper security door, and I'm all about the rules. Anyway. Appreciate having Ken on and all his, uh, I mean, we give him a hard time, but seriously, his uh, statistical stuff is high-end stuff and the NCAA committee's using it. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Pac-12 football with Yogi Roth. Uh, there are a lot of things to talk to him about. Is Arizona State ever going to play again? Uh, UCLA is 2-2 two and two and looked bad in the losses and good in the wins, except they were good in the losses and could have won them and could have, oh, well, it's confusing. We'll talk with him about that. And Oregon State taking down Oregon. Hello! 
What is going on? The league is upside down. Also, I think there's a thing out there that we got to discuss with him, and that is this whole notion, oh, the kids are all going to get an extra year. No, they're not. The math doesn't work. The math doesn't work at all. Are they going to up the scholarship limit to 110? Schools can't afford that. They're all furloughing people and laying people off and going through budget cuts. So I think kids are going to get squeezed out here. The question is, who? Do you push the seniors out the door? Do you not bring in as many freshmen? Do you just kind of uh, have difficult conversations, as uh, one person told me, and uh, just kind of thin the herd throughout every class? How is this really going to work? And the impact on high school kids, some of whom in some states had a limited season or none at all. Uh, We'll talk with Yogi Roth about all of that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. We are joined now by Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Networks. Yogi, welcome back to the show. Yeah, good good to be back. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're glad the Pac-12 football is finally here, even if it is kind of piecemeal, mix and match, games made up on the fly. Some games are better than no games for people who like to watch football. Uh, how disoriented are you by all of this? How weird do you find this season? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's definitely something none of us have clearly ever experienced. Uh, to me, after the first game of the season, the first week of the season, I should say, I tried to just flip my mind to kind of just appreciate the games we get and and not be frustrated by the, the games that gets, gets canceled. Because when I walked into the season, I, I was really confident with the daily testing and everything that was kind of trending towards the Pac-12 direction that maybe won't be the school or the conference that won't be as affected as the other one because of all the precautions. And what we've all realized is that this virus is clearly dictating terms, regardless of how much you're testing and the safety protocols and the measures that each school are taking. So after the frustration from week one, because I was surprised by that, uh, now it's more of like, all right, like we got four games. Let's let's celebrate all the ones that we get. And uh, I think with the teams and the frustrations that, you know, a program like Utah is having, it's flipping the script to next year and and talking about the positives that can come out of the season. So that's kind of how I've been dealing with it. But, Clearly, there's been a lot to, to go through on the field. And then, you know, to me, you, you take a minute and look in the newspaper, you see what else is going around the world, and, and you realize that, you know, we're lucky that we get a couple games. You know, this easily could get shut down, I can imagine, just based on what the world is like right now. Yeah, the way I'm looking at it, Yogi, is this season is like a lab. You know, we all took college classes, and you had to go to labs, and they were important. But, you know, they weren't as important as the tests. And so I'm not putting a whole lot of stock necessarily in the conference races. But once – and I was at the SC-Utah game, you know, no fans, and we know about that great environment that they have. But once the ball was hiked, you know, it was real football. It may not have been the real football to the level that it would be if you knew you were playing uh, months in advance and all that stuff. But still, it's what we got. So let's enjoy it because obviously – it's better than nothing. As I step back, recognizing that it's not a true season in the way we know it, to me, so far, 
the biggest surprise is Colorado. Yeah, I think that's really fair. Um, on the positives, right? Like the biggest surprise to me is probably Arizona State playing one game. You know, <laughs> out of all the things that have happened this year, that that one is surprising the most, I think. But yeah, I'm with you. And I got to call Colorado, San Diego State over the weekend just based on the late change that happened in their schedule. And I think there's a couple things. One is that program's really well coached. They'll remind you of Utah in that regard. Two, because of the head coaching change, we almost forgot about the returning players they've had. And the defensive front, it's real. you know. And I'm not just talking about Nate Lamb as linebacker making a bunch of plays, but Terrence Lang, Mustafa Johnson. But they, they have some guys that really looked apart physically uh, and have experience. You know, they, they all played since the moment they got to Boulder. So I'm with you there. And then, of course, Sam Neuer is probably the best story of the season with Jared Broussard, two guys that no one anticipated being – you know, alpha leaders on this program, let alone statistical leaders in the conference. And they both, to me, are playing at, at some version of an all-conference level at, at their respective positions. So I'm excited for that program. Everybody clearly coming back. I'd anticipate Neuer coming back for that, that mulligan year you referenced. And, and they're going to be a fun team to watch. And, you know, it's a tough situation that they're in with the game being canceled at SC because the, the way I understand it this morning, because it changed over the week in my interpretation of it, is that if them and SC win out, then because of SC having more conference games, thus a better conference record, they would go to the title even though SC had to pull out of their head-to-head game, which is just frustrating and mind-boggling to a large degree. But that, that's the way the rule is now. So uh, unfortunately for Colorado fans, I think you, you kind of, of course, need to win out, but you also want SC to have a game postponed, which is not a healthy way of operating in a 2020 pandemic, but that's the reality of it. Maybe you should just root for UCLA to beat USC. That yeah, would do yeah. it. Now, yeah. is UCLA better? Are they turning a corner? They lost to Colorado, but if Colorado's good, maybe that's not such a deal. UCLA ought to be better. I'm like, you're in the middle of Southern California. Get it together. Get it yeah. together. Are they doing they are. that? They are. They really are. I mean, the thing with Chip Kelly is when he came in, you know, it wasn't like your standard come to L.A., go get a bunch of L.A. recruits, and we win now. That's what we all thought it would be. That's definitely what I thought it would be. The reality, looking back on this thing with revisionist history in mind, they had a total roster overhaul. I'm talking like 70, 80 players overhaul. It wasn't like 10 guys left because they weren't starting and they were mad. This was like a big-time overhaul. Guys retiring, guys transferring, guys just opting out, guys just quitting football. Um, guys not being, you know, academically eligible to be on the, pro, on the on the roster. And then, of course, the way Chip Kelly recruits is that he's not just going to recruit the biggest names in L.A. You've got to fit the personality type. you got to fit all the metrics that they have. And they didn't really recruit L.A. well, to be really blunt, his first year and a half in this program in terms of some of the names you thought they'd be in on. But over the last year and a half, they've done that, as well as really recruited the J.C. level, uh, and, of course, you know, the portal. They've worked the portal. So you look at their defense. The leaders on this defense weren't with the program you know, or weren't eligible to play. Right? They had a transfer linebacker uh, from Texas early last season who couldn't play last year. He's the leader of the defense. You have uh, a, a Calvert, their linebacker. He wasn't eligible most of last season due to an NCAA rules violation. Their starting safety was playing at Kent State. Their starting corner was playing at Stanford. I mean, Almost uh, half their defense are, are new players. And then there's the depth that all played as freshmen two years ago or last year. 
So you're right uh, on that side. They're making plays and winning a lot of scrimmage. And offensively, they're doing what Chip Kelly's, I think, really always loved to do, which is run the ball with incredible diversity. Demetrius Felton, to me, might be the most explosive player in this conference. And to really think about it, that's a fair discussion to have with what he's done over the course of this season, let alone his career. Britton Brown is the big back that Chip Kelly loves to pound the rock with. And then at quarterback, they've survived without Dorian the last two weeks to Chase Griffin. Um, you could argue they outplayed Oregon. I, I think they did at the line of scrimmages, which I would have never thought I would say. Sean Ryan it might be the best left tackle in this conference right now. And they're, they're just playing a good brand of ball. And then once they get a first first down, they're really putting you in a dramatic bind. And I, I saw something last night just to kind of make my final point on them that absolutely blew my mind which was when you look at the Pac-12 right now, if I told you that UCLA had the leading uh, uh, yard yardage uh, wide receiver, you'd probably you'd say there's no chance that that's the case, but it's the truth with Greg Dolchich, number one receiver in total yards, number two running back in total yards, and number two and number five in their sack leaders, and also Odigizua and Caleb Johnson, who is the, Ke- the Texas transfer. I mean, think about that. That, that. We would have never thought that about UCLA, but that's their truth, so... Yes, they have turned a corner, and you did. the FC game will be huge for that program and, and definitely wouldn't be surprised if they came out on top because they played well. So the Utes uh, lost a ton on defense, and we've seen they've made some mistakes in some coverages. They let the tight end for Washington get loose. And on offense, they've had nine turnovers, which is so unwittingham-like. And so that's led to their 0-2 thing. And the thing that really, really bothers me, I think it sucks the most, is that going on the theory that this season is a lab, particularly for the Utes, since they had to replace so many dudes from last season, the thing that really upsets me is this could have been a great opportunity for Cam Rising to get his feet wet because he hadn't played in college after transferring from Texas, and he gets 14 plays, and he goes out with injury. I mean, I... That really does suck, and I think that that has the potential to not be a wasted season, but not be the development that the entire team for the Utes that they could have gotten if he could have had the opportunity to play. Yeah, I I concur on all that. Um, I'm with you, man. I mean, the excitement around Cam Rising was amazing when he came in. And then it got tempered because Jake Bentley transferred in. You're thinking, all right, if they're going to take a grad transfer, they probably believe in the fact that they needed grad transfer a quarterback. And then for him to respond the way he did and win the job, I mean, I would have loved to have seen him practice, let alone play in a game, just to see his ability because clearly the staff believed in him. And you're right. This is a team that they have all the tools to be a championship caliber team. Like, do not be surprised next year in the preseason poll when they get a bunch of votes to win the Pac-12 South. Uh, just pending guys going to the draft, and I don't anticipate everybody returning for the year that's a relative mulligan in 2020. So I'm with you. Super frustrating in that regard. Uh, I think to your point, though, on the defense, it is going to be a dramatically beneficial year for them. To all the things that you referenced, and we talked about it before the season started, the biggest challenge, I think, for guys, especially in the back end, is playing games, is playing the ball and making real, real, real time, real speed, high speed decisions. When you've got to trust in the coverage, your technique, all, all the things that every coach will say. You know, you got to, you need game reps. I just, I just believe that. So for that back end to get those games reps, 
it's going to be huge. It really is. And, you know, the front seven played obviously much better than they did uh, in their first game of the season. Their offensive line looked like a different unit against UW for a lot of that game in terms of just moving the line of scrimmage. You know, they weren't perfect, of course, but they played much better than I thought they did in their first outing. And the turnovers, it's just super uncharacteristic to your point. Uh, but they're they're really young, which to me is uncharacteristic covering them for the last decade. Like I feel like Utah's never been the young team, but clearly with all the departures they are. So, yeah, Sky is, is much uh, brighter in better days in, uh, in terms of 2021. And it'll be fun to watch them these last couple of weeks because now they get to kind of play spoiler to a certain degree with Oregon State with the biggest win you could argue in conference play over the last couple of seasons. I mean, what a, what a dramatic win by them for that program. And then, of course, against Colorado, which will try to remain undefeated. So it'll be fun to watch Utah in the final month here, or the final couple weeks. So we mentioned the free year multiple times, and that sounds good. But this could be a, uh, from what I've been told, a classic uh, NCAA PR move. But behind the scenes isn't that good for student-athletes because I was told, well, there's a math problem here. Either they're going to squeeze the freshmen or they're going to, the incoming class, or they're going to move the scholarship limit up to 100 or 110 athletes. So, but all the schools have financial at, uh, issues, so they probably keep it at 85, which means coaches are going to have hard conversations and force kids out of the program, especially kids in the third or fourth year who haven't uh, made an impact and found their way onto the field. Now, nobody wants to say that into a microphone or a camera, but if you have an honest discussion with someone away from it, that is what they say with no hesitation or apology. Are you hearing the same thing, or do you think it's going to play out differently? Well, I think this, uh, and I talked to someone in recruiting last night because here we are, you know, two and a half weeks away from signing day. So I'm beginning my prep today, to be honest with you, on signing day. It's usually what I would do in the beginning of December because the season would be relatively over. It's supposed to be championship week right now. Uh, with that said, I asked that exact question. And the way that uh, it is working, to my understanding as of a few hours ago, is that you're basing your 2020 class, 2020, 2021 class, on your senior class. So if you have 20 outgoing seniors, uh, you're going to have 20 eligible scholarships. If you have 11 outgoing seniors, like I think Oregon State does, for instance, you have 11 scholarships, right? So that is, to me, the understanding that programs are operating with, is your senior class is the one that gets the quote-unquote extra year, um, so whatever you have in your senior class, that's what you should offer to the freshman class coming in. Now, my counter to that, and this is how I would do it if I was a head coach, is I would not sign a heavy class this year if it was based on that ideology. So let's just say I had 20 seniors, right? Just let's be very general. And I have 20 then scholarship opportunities for freshmen. I would sign like 10 or 12. For, for two points. One is, is, for all intents and purposes, we should assume that the NCAA is going to allow players to transfer next year without being penalized. So I would fill up my roster with a bunch of older guys next year, a bunch of grad transfers, a bunch of people that are in junior, senior years of eligibility, um, because I don't want to be too young. Because to your earlier point, if now all of a sudden I signed 20 real freshmen, last year I signed 25 real freshmen. The year before I signed 25 now either redshirt freshmen or sophomores, I have so many young players and probably overloaded a lot of positions that guys are going to leave anyway. 
So with the anticipation of the one-time transfer rule happening, I wouldn't load up with a bunch of 17-year-olds that didn't visit your campus for the most part, didn't play a senior year in high school for the most part, that you don't know a ton about for the most part. I would say, you know what, I'm going to go work the portal like never before. And I think you're going to see major roster overhaul at the programs that do that. And and I think for this year, that's the the way to go if you can get those types of athletes academically into your institution. So then the people who get squeezed out is not at the end of it. It's at the beginning of it. It's high school seniors now. Yeah, I think that's probably the reality of it. and I think that's – I'm mentoring a bunch of kids right now that didn't play their senior year. And it's, it's a terrible situation to be in because all they have is workouts, you know, in the park they can put on video, right? So for coaches, like, how much do they trust in junior tape? And then the frustrating part for those young men, the, the young players, is nobody's, nobody's seen them develop. Like, I'm talking to a quarterback now named Billy Osborne, who I think is a gifted player out of the state of New Jersey. He went from 6'1", 180 pounds, to 6'4", 205 as a senior. And he got squeezed out. He got to get a couple games in, but because coaches always offer quarterbacks early, he didn't get to go to a camp, right? And, and there's kids like that in California and, and all over the Pac-12 footprint. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, it's going to happen one way or the other. So it'll be interesting to watch what coaches do. Um, especially the new coaches in this conference that didn't get to go out to a bunch of these high schools. I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a real tough scenario uh, to me. And I, I wish I was part of this meeting and I've said forever, I'd love to be on the committee for, you know, the, the college football playoff president or the college football president. Cause there needs to be a building that has three floors at least that is operating this thing. Cause I would say you get 25 extra scholarships. That's how I would do it. And then I would say it's on you coach to manage that personnel and to manage the amount of players that you play and to manage the personalities, but not squeeze anybody out. But I don't, you know, my understanding is that that's not necessarily going to happen anytime soon to just say, okay, you're at, you know, now at 110 scholarships to your earlier point, you know, there's so many financial stressors on institutions and athletic departments anyway. So I don't know, man, that, that's what I would do um, to, 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 to help the game. Uh, but I don't, I don't necessarily anticipate that happening. Well, Yogi, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on once again, and we will uh, we'll talk to you again down the road. Yeah, you got it, guys. Stay safe. There's Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, you know, as, as far as what to do here, I, I think if I were a coach, I would just go through and, and look at the recruiting mistakes, the kids you're missing on, probably more of the older kids than the younger kids, but maybe some of the younger kids too, and tell players, if you want to transfer, uh, step up and transfer now. Do it. Go. And some of them you probably have to encourage to transfer. Uh, is it awkward? Is it bad? Yeah. But he, if you give people the extra year, it sounds good. But there's still only so many games and only so many positions and so many snaps. And if kids are standing on the sideline not playing, they're probably going to want to transfer to programs where they can play. And, you know, what does this do for a school that's been way down? What does this do for a school at a lower level? Boy, if I were a Mountain West school and I'm New Mexico or UNLV rebuilding a program, there might be some talent coming available pretty quickly. 
kind of relationships do you have with Pac-12 coaches? You might be able to get some players you could never get otherwise, and they might be happy to come play for you. So, uh, and, 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 you know, also uh, Big Sky Schools, uh, the same thing, right? With Mountain West and Pac-12 kids moving. There's going to be a big shakeout. I think that's pretty clear. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, what is trending? Stay with us.